heard, it's one of my favorite concepts, we often use it around the church, uh, is the idea of ethos, the term ethos. Ethos is a distinguishing character of a person or a community. Maybe a better way of saying that is that ethos is what a community feels like, whether you know it or not. It's, it's the feel that exists of a person or of a community. It's the overwhelming presence or feeling that simply cannot be denied. Just by being around a person or a group, there is a feeling they possess. At Kroger Field last night, the ethos was that of energy and passion for a time. At Starbucks on any given morning, the ethos is often a place of conversation, contemplation. At the NFL, uh, later today, seemingly now has an ethos of a Taylor Swift concert. I don't know how that happened, but that's the new ethos, apparently. But ethos is a reality. Communities have a feel. Communities have a presence. It's just something that's true. It's a reality, which, of course, raises a question this morning. What's the ethos of a church? When the people of Jesus Christ come together as a community, what are we to feel like of a group of people who trust in Christ? What presence do we give off, if you will, to the world? What's our feeling? What's our ethos to the world? How do we feel to the world when they encounter us? Our passage this morning paints a picture of humility. That that is our ethos, the dominant result of the good news of Christ and how the gospel affects our life. Now, I do not think that the Apostle Paul had the modern view of ethos on his mind when he wrote these words to the church in Philippi. These words, though, do reveal the reality of an actual presence of a community which exists inside a community of Jesus. We'll see more of that in just a moment, but first, just a reminder... As we move now into chapter 2 of this letter, we have seen Paul's love and care for his friends in Philippi. We've seen his personal reality that as their church planter, as their leader, as their friend, he was now far removed both geographically and the space of years since he had seen them last. Yet he has received a report of how the church was doing, how things were going, and he responds to that report. So as Paul thanked them for their prayers and thanked them for their financial help to him, he also took this time to instruct them specifically about the problems that he had heard within their community and the solution to those issues. And primarily the problem they were facing is the same ones that most churches, if not all churches, can be affected by, and that is rivalries and divisions within the church. The question before us this morning is how has the good news of Jesus Christ affected us in such a way that our love for him and his love for us spreads out into the entire community? Because when the gospel of Christ has truly penetrated our lives, we will experience a humility that will be seen throughout our relationships with each other. When God's holiness is real in our hearts, that Jesus' work to make us part of his holy family will affect our entire community. And that reality produces a humility, an ethos, and a church will be reflected to the watching world. So here's my prayer for us this past week and this morning. 
that in Christ, that we are gloriously humble, that there is unity that exists amongst us because of what Jesus has done to us and for us and with us. I want us to see this morning in three parts this great unity that exists for us in Christ. Notice the hope of unity. Notice the struggle for unity. And lastly, notice the cause of the unity that we may experience together. The hope of the struggle and the cause. And truly, may TCPC be a place fashioned by the person of Christ. All right, first, consider the hope of unity. Look back at verse 2. I find this such an interesting passage, and even we'll see a bit that might seem a little funny, if you will, except for the fact there's just nothing actually funny about it. But notice Paul's hope. He says it very, very clearly that the hope for him is the completion of his joy. Now, in the original language, verses 1 through 4 is one long sentence, and the dominant verb is this. It's the completion of joy, for his joy to be complete. That is, for Paul, his joy was found when the church of Jesus Christ existed in unity together, when the people of God were unified and they loved each other. Then Paul would experience joy. Now, at first reading of this, it almost seems a little self-serving of Paul to hear him refer to my joy instead of our joy, as in my joy being dependent upon your behavior. It sounds a little odd. However, if we really consider this just a little bit more, I think a greater principle is revealed. It's not just that Paul was selfish. It's not he wasn't selfish at all. Rather, the gospel of Christ had transformed his mind and his heart so much for him that caring for others, he now understood, was the actual pathway of true joy. Jesus had opened his eyes in such a way that he now knew that true Lasting joy, the type of joy that we all want, is found when, not when we have worldly success, but rather in the success of caring for others. See, at this point, Paul had no worldly success. He was under house arrest. He waited for the outcome of a trial. There was nothing fun about Paul's life at that moment, yet his joy was not found in worldly success anyway. So let me ask you this morning, what would complete your joy? What would truly give you life this morning? What would allow you to believe that you're free to enjoy God and his provision for you in all ways? Here was the issue for Paul, and I think also for us today. Verse 3, there were folks with, quote, selfish ambitions and conceit. And they were inside of the church. Don't miss that. This dynamic produced various forms of rivalries and competitions. Again, inside the church. Not in the world, in the church. Seemingly, there were people at the church in Philippi who really did believe in Jesus. They really were followers of Christ. Yet also, simultaneously, they had some kind of agenda inside the church for their personal preferences, and that created disunity and produced an ethos that did not match that of Christ. And Paul knew from all of his own experiences and all that he had learned from Jesus, he knew that having all of your selfish ambitions achieved in church will not result in your joy. It will not result in unity. 
but rather it will be your ongoing disappointment. So I ask you this morning, church, do you believe that? Do you believe that getting everything you want and all of your preferences, here we are as exiles in the world, do you think if you get everything you want, that will make you happy? You know, we can just imagine, if you will, that for today, folks who must have everything their own way typically do not produce a joyous ethos. So for Paul, he did lack joy at this moment because the competition that existed within a church. Look again at verse 2 and see this very, very clear situation crystallized. Notice Paul gives four descriptions that I think reveal two categories for him. This is right out of the text. He told them, have the same mind. Secondly, have the same love. Thirdly, being one accord, full accord. And then a repeat of number one. Fourthly, have one mind. You see what's going on? I love this. There's essentially two things. It's our mind and our hearts. Our mind, that which we believe to be true of the gospel, all that is true of sin and justification and the cross, everything that we hold dear, but then our hearts connected to that. The issue which will form godly ethos of humility is when we love the people with whom we agree doctrinally. It's not just love your enemies but it's to love the fellow people at church with whom you agree, those people with whom you take the same vows. In Philippi, everyone agreed on theological issues, it would appear. The problem is that they competed with each other along the way. Think about it, it doesn't seem logical, but yet we know it's true. This really is the ongoing reality, that we agree with folks, but we have a hard time liking the people with whom we agree. If you have your Bibles, turn over to the right just a bit to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. This is my daily read through the Bible in a year this past week. I came across this passage as I was preparing this message. And I just want to read this one verse because here Paul echoes the same thing. I just found this fascinating. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 3. Notice how Paul gives praise to the Lord. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as it is right, because your faith is growing abundantly and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Now, there are times we hear about loving our enemies, of course, but here he refers to that you love each other as a result of your faith. I love that picture. When Christ and the gospel penetrate our hearts, our love for each other produces a whole new community. Here's the point. We are all to grow in our minds. We are all to be matured in our view of Christ. We're all to grow in the knowledge of the word. We're all to grow in the knowledge of the cross. And then we extend God's love of Christ out. We're usually good at that in our denomination. But the proof of that knowledge is to be expressed in our love for the people all around us. You know, the NBA season is set to begin later this month. I don't know if you care about that at all. Probably most of you don't. However, I kind of get into it. Uh, I was reminded of a story from the NBA from this time last year. 
Last year, about this time during preseason camp, the Golden State Warriors, the perennial powerhouse led by Steph Curry, were getting ready to win another championship. But as they were preparing for the season to start, there were two players other than Steph, Draymond Green and Jordan Poole. They both were looking to get long-term contracts in the following year. Draymond Green, if you know anything about him, he's the defensive bulldog and the intimidator of the entire league. Jordan Poole, the young, wildly athletic rising star. And what happened in the midst of their rivalry? Here's what happened. One day in practice, the pressure of what they wanted, their contract extensions, all of that, spilled over and punches were thrown. Or at least one big punch was thrown, depending on the story. The result of their rivalry? NBA analysts said the team never recovered emotionally from that fight within the team. Though they had by far the most talented team, they did not win the title last year. All year long, it was a struggle. Game after game, month after month. And now... Jordan Poole plays for the Washington Wizards. He had to leave. But think about it. They were on the same team. They were warriors. They had the same coach, same city, same fan, same owner, same goal. But they couldn't get along. As a result, they're apart. You see, church, this is a real issue. God's maturing of us will often include the difficulty of living in harmony with those who are on the same team. And this is the hope, this is the goal, this is the aim, that we love the people with whom we agree. All right, we've seen the hope, we've seen the goal, now notice the struggle for unity. Look at verses 3 and 4. And as we will see, this is hard, as we might expect. To embrace this humility, to possess this ethos, it does not come easily. It's not a quick fix. If it it were, we wouldn't have this sermon. We wouldn't have this this passage. But the issue, of course, the ongoing problem in the church, the church is filled with people like me and you, normal Christians who still have sin in our hearts and still have sin in our lives As we await Christ's return. Now as a side note. In heaven. We aren't going to have the sermon. By the way. But we're not there yet. Until then we need to hear this. But for today we all have to wrestle a bit with. What are our true motives in being at church? What are our true motives inside of ministries and small groups and times of fellowship? Verses 3 and 4 clearly reveal that inside a true church, there might be ambitions and desires which are not of Christ. Thus, people can and people will be motivated in some way for selfish interests rather than the gospel of Christ. Now, this reality should cause each of us to ask this question. What is truly my motivation in being here today? Is it to possess the desire of the Lord or something else? Now, from my study this past week, it seems most likely what Paul had in his mind for these selfish ambitions and conceit was chiefly connected to 
the work done in the church, the labor, the ministry, the acts of service. Next week, beginning uh, with verse 5, Will is going to show us the true work done in the church was done by Christ. Yet, as that truth seeps into our hearts, we now have this tendency to do work inside the church with less than pure motives. The reality for us all is that we enjoy getting some kind of credit for whatever it is that we do. Correct? Correct. We all know it's there. It's alive inside of us. I guarantee you, we all like a little bit of praise, a little bit of recognition, a little bit of love from another, or even from ourselves to make us feel good about something that we have done. From evangelism, to giving financially, to preaching, to teaching, to serving on communities, to being an officer, to cleaning up after an event, of course, we like to be recognized sometimes for that. Inside of our hearts, there can easily be a voice which says something like, I guess I'll work in the nursery again this week. Since none of those other lazy people are going to do it, I'll do it. You know what I mean. Yet the call of Scripture is to count others as more significant than yourself. Let me say that again. To count others as more significant than yourself. Now note, this is not a moral statement about people. Others really may have extreme sin in their lives. That's not the point. The point is, do we view others the same way Jesus views them, and how do we actually view ourselves? How do we think of us? Tim Keller gave this great quote from his reading of C.S. Lewis regarding humility. And this really is the ethos I pray will exist inside of our church. This is Keller quoting Lewis. Quote, If we were to meet a truly humble person, we would not come away thinking they were humble. They would not always be telling us that they are a nobody. The thing we would remember from meeting a truly humble person is how much they seem to be interested in us. Because the essence of gospel humility is not thinking more or less of myself. It is thinking of myself less. You see, woe is me, or look at me, is still all about me. The gospel moves us away from connecting everything back to me and truly being fascinated by you as an image bearer of God himself. We are surrounded this morning by people who are made in God's image. Every single person here is utterly fascinating. Historically, as Dennis Johnson says in his commentary, that the ancient world defined humility as weakness, being of no account, and a lack of freedom. The gospel of Jesus says that true joy comes when you're not consumed with you, but you consider others worthy of being consumed. We've seen the goal. That is, we are unified together. We've seen the struggle to consider others better than ourselves. Consider how this comes about in our life. How are we actually changed? Look at verse 1. 
And let these words lead us to the table this morning. Notice in verse 1, the triune God's love for us in Christ. Hear this. If any encouragement in Christ, any any comfort from love, and scholars rightly point out that Paul didn't include the Father's love here, but in other passages with the same thing in mind, he does include Father. So there's any comfort from God the Father. And lastly, any participation in the Spirit, any affection, any sympathy, then make my joy complete. That is, if you are a Christian, guess what is true of you. This morning, today, Jesus gives you encouragement. This morning, today, the Father loves you just as he loves the Son. This morning, today, the Spirit leads you to embrace this love from the Father because of Christ. You see, we don't have to make ourselves humble. God's commitment is that he is humbling us to show us more of him. You know why you don't have to be consumed with yourself today? It's because Jesus is consumed with you today. Why are you free from rivalry and selfish ambition? Because Jesus would have no rival that would prevent him from coming to you. Jesus' ambition was to come to you. His ambition is for us. There was no rival that could stop him. Jesus' ambition was for us to share in his Father's love. In church this morning, we do. We do. This past Thursday and Friday, I was in Nashville for the annual uh, liturgy Collective. It's an annual conference uh, for pastors and worship leaders, mostly in our denomination. Uh, the event was hosted at Covenant Presbyterian, where back in March, the horrible shooting occurred there in Nashville. I was perusing the bookstore on Thursday afternoon, uh, just looking at some random books, waiting for the next event to start, when, when just out of my side view, kind of like in our narthex maybe, just imagine a book table there, I saw two very well-known pastors within our denomination. They both have written books and speak at conferences, and you would recognize their names, chances are. Now, I know, I knew, when I saw those two guys bump into each other, I knew those two men are not on the same side of every issue in our denomination. I'm sure they don't always vote the same way at our events that cause a vote, like at General Assembly or something like that. I know that's true. I presume they don't necessarily run in the same circles in the PCA. I assume they have very different preferences of music, whatnot. But from my little spot in the bookstore, as I looked at them, one of them had just walked in and he was getting ready to speak at the next seminar. As they saw each other, they bumped into each other and I just couldn't believe my eyes because I loved it so much. One of them dropped his briefcase They gave each other a full-on male bear hug, slapping each other's back. It was a loud hug. Faces were filled with laughter and joy. They clearly were thrilled to see each other. Their love for each other was so evident, even though I know they don't agree on everything. And I stood there in the little bookstore, and my heart just soared. What a picture. What a story. They didn't know me, they don't know me, they didn't see me, 
But the ethos of Jesus that existed there was awesome. Praise God for the love of his saints for each other. Sandra McCracken sings a beautiful song about this topic entitled, Oh, How Good to Be Together. And it's a picture of Christians living in unity because God lives in unity with us. I'll close by reading a section of this beautiful song. She says this, Oh, how good to be together in this weary world we trod. What a gift, what a treasure, kindred in the house of God. Oh, the joy, oh, the sweetness to be gathered in the name of the Lord. Evermore he will keep us from the valley to the golden shore. Church, this is our hope. This is our goal. That God would cause our hearts to fall so in love with him, our love spills over to each other and the whole world sees it. Oh, the joy to be gathered in the name of the Lord. We are loved this morning by Christ. Amen? Amen. Let me pray and I will transition us to the Lord's Prayer and then we will come and feast with our Savior today. Father, we thank you in the name of your Son that you love us. And God, we pray that this love would penetrate our minds and penetrate our hearts. In your kindness, would you Give us a reminder of that love today. Father, I pray that we truly would be a church for the city, for these neighborhoods, where the love that you have for us spills over. And now, as we pray, we pray, oh God, as your son taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever.